0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the fifth part in our series, Rome, The Decline of Democracy, where we last left off, Mark Anthony, due to a number of different distractions, poor planning, and perhaps a lack of willpower, is defeated by Octavius as the next ruler of Rome. Brett, let's continue our story. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me back.
1: So where we left off, Augustus is at the top of the hill. He has deposed his enemies. Um, He's in control of the vast, vast, vast majority of Rome's military. And there really are no more obstacles. Or uh, let, let me say instead, there are no more existential threats to his power. He's in a very similar position to his uncle, Julius Caesar was. Uh, several years earlier, but his approach to power consolidation is starkly different. And as we'll see, it's vastly more successful. Like you're saying,
0: the impediments are completely gone to consolidating power at this point.
1: They're not completely gone, but they are mostly gone. Um, it's, it's They've been, after decades of civil war and purges and counter purges, the, the fight has been mostly beaten out of the republicans got it got it got it and i I, and as we discussed
0: last time the average citizen is just ha regardless of who's in power they're just happy that there's some moment of peace right after like the fourth civil war at this point
1: they're basically expecting civil war number five to come along (laughs) any minute but what they'll they'll be pleasantly surprised good Uh, they'll see that this is not another step in the destination or in the journey but rather This is the destination.
0: Good, 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 good. I love pleasant surprises. (laughs) Yeah, well, pleasant depends on who you ask. But yeah, we call it pleasant surprise.
1: So Octavian is now elected the consul, which is like president, right? In a like almost unanimous vote. Because remember, it's not like America where like the people vote, the senators vote. Right. Right. And the... Most of the senators are sycophantic and the ones that aren't are dead. Hmm. Right. There's there's no there's no one really left around to challenge him. So the Senate nominates and then the the People's Assembly votes. But, you know, they only nominated him. So <laughs> uh, who else are they going to vote for? Also, he has control of the military. People see the writing on the wall, right? Right, right. So um, he's basically the last man standing in the graveyard. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. And he he's elected alongside, because there's two consuls, uh, his childhood friend and longtime ally, Marcus Agrippa, mm. right? So Agrippa and... Uh, Octavian, they set about consolidating power and really changing the the Republic into the Empire. Huh. Their, their first step is they are going to remove all the laws that were passed during the time of the Second Triumvirate, right? That, that was wartime Octavian. He doesn't want to be that. He doesn't want to be remembered like that. So he's going around and he's fixing all of the little laws he passed that he needed in place to gain power that are no longer necessary, right? He's trying to send a message that law and order has returned to Rome. Right, right. right.
0: Now, I have a question here because Julius Caesar, right? He was just kind of extending his term limit. Like, did he ever say directly, I am now emperor? Or was this just a game of him constantly extending his term
1: limit and he never directly said I'm emperor? Julius Caesar, extended his term limit first by or julius caesar had the senate award him dictatorial powers which was an action which was an actual title in roman government the dictator was an office you would elect under times of great crises where they had like universal power to do whatever they want with the idea being that they would give the powers back The, the office of dictator was used successfully and unsuccessfully, a bunch of times through Rome's history, often times of war, where you couldn't have, you didn't want the consuls to change next year because you just you needed more time to do stuff, right? So I don't want to. So I I want to be weary of saying like the dictatorship was a unanimously bad thing because it wasn't. It was used effectively and correctly for at least a few times. Uh, but Julius, it was supposed to be for five years. Julius Caesar had himself declared dictator for five years then 10 years and then forever right now
0: with octavius though he's not even playing any games of extending the term limit he's like we're oh, no. done we're done being a republic and now we're an empire and we're going to have an emperor that rules indefinitely until they die or assassinated or just that's
1: that's the interesting thing aaron is that that's not what happened oh, okay. julius caesar is the one who tried to change the government to make himself a king. He's like, this temporary status that you have, I want it forever, which obviously people like, you'd have to be brain dead to not see that as a brazen move for control, right? Sure, sure, was like, sure. So I was like, I think I'm going to be president forever now. And people were like, <laughs> oh, that sounds fair. Augustus, on the other hand, plays by the rules, sort of. I mean, he kind of has like carte blanche, unanimous. Uh, unanimous power right to Mm -hmm. do what he wants but he's very much plays by the rules and within the rules to build an empire he never calls himself an emperor interesting wow wow he never does most of the emperors of rome don't refer to themselves as emperors the word emperor comes from the latin word imperator which means like commander and um yeah, it, it means commander. They didn't refer to themselves like that. They didn't see themselves. Well, maybe they did see themselves like that, but they certainly didn't refer to themselves like that. And we'll get to this in a minute. But Octavian referred to himself as Principate, which is actually where the the English word of prince comes from. Hmm. Um, and Principate means like first citizen. So he saw himself more like how the the like the speaker of the house would see themselves. They would be like, I'm the most important person in the House of Representatives, but I'm not the king of the House of Representatives, right? This,
0: this is very interesting because we've just been through like four civil wars. And I, I feel like it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction to, to call yourself emperor, where Like, I'm going to just be an emperor. I'm going to bring law and order. But in a way, that might be like a death bullet because if you call yourself emperor, now you're going to be under, ton, you know, like a, a ton of attack. Even if you're acting like an emperor, it might just be wiser to call yourself self something lesser than, you know. Oh it's like, yeah. It's like I'm not your boss. I'm just simply the overseer manager guy
1: here. <laughs> yeah, a lot of companies <laughs> do that, right? Um, yeah, yeah. The. Julius Caesar did not learn your lesson well, and he tried to make himself a King multiple times and people smelled that and Mm. they did not like it. Augustus on the other hand, always drapes himself in an air of democracy. He always tries to play things off. Like I'm just doing what the people want. I'm, I'm an instrument of, of Republican virtue. Um, and it lets him get away with a lot of stuff, so yeah. much so that the system he puts in place lasts. This is very interesting
0: because it's I almost so. as if the person that calls themselves the humble servant could be far more dangerous than the person who says, I'm king or emperor.
1: Oh, I, I, I would wholeheartedly agree <laughs> that the, if you look at um, – I mean, and this is this is true even today. If you look at countries like North Korea – or China let's let's focus on North Korea it's more obvious i don't think anyone here would disagree that kim jong un kim jong il the kims are dictators right yeah but they don't call themselves that in that country they're the president and they have elections right mm-hmm. they're voted in they their country is not called the kingdom of north korea it's called like the people's republic of you know freedom and democracy or some insanely (laughs) long-winded title right like um they know right whenever you have like those like oppressive regimes in in south africa uh kind of popping up same thing they don't call themselves like the kingdom of the congo they call themselves like the people's republic of whatever Mm -hmm. So it kind of like these leaders kind of come in under like a populist
0: guise of like, hey, I'm just your humble servant. This is, you know, I speak for the people. And I guess, you know, Octavius probably is a student of Julius Caesar in the sense that he learns all the things not to do because he doesn't want to get
1: assassinated in the Senate or anything like that. Very much so. And people try. People still, still try. But Octavius is better at catching them. He has a better like PR firm, I guess you'd say. Uh, <laughs> he has an an army of poets who end up writing like propaganda for him, and they're much better than Julius Caesar's people. The one of the most famous uh, pieces of Latin literature to ever come out of of the Western world, the Aeneid, is about Augustus Caesar, right? Wow. So he hires like the Procter and Gamble to to handle his uh, PR there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And they do. And the funny thing is, is that I don't, I'm sure, I don't, I don't know what this is like. I'm not sure if you do, but uh, I'm told it's very difficult to manage creative types and get them to do what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. But he, he somehow does it. He gets them to produce the Aeneid, which is not only a wonderful piece of Latin prose, but is also fiercely pro-regime. Mm-hmm. Right. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here.
0: Yeah, no, it's just it's just very interesting because I I think there's a shift going on here, and maybe this is different. Maybe this is new in the ancient world. This idea of like I am I'm not just king. I also have like I also have an obligation to have like a public relations perception like that matters even even if i don't necessarily need these people's votes anymore there's still this obligation to portray oneself in a in a very majestic kind of
1: image and i think that maybe is a new thing to rome it is definitely a new thing to rome i don't think it's new to civilization like the persian empire very much their king like uh, you know going and and I apologize because my Greek history is a little weak, but uh, you know Xerxes the first, right? Xerxes of the great, um, very much had a kind of like a principate role in governing Persia, especially during you know the war with with Greece, mm, right? Mm. I I always find that funny that Western, thanks mostly to <laughs> Zack Snyder and yeah. the 300, people vastly misunderstand. <laughs> what was going on in that era <laughs> um for s- somehow that story has been warped into a story about like the freedom loving greeks facing off against the evil encroaching persians when the persians were a mostly free society and the greeks were a slave state wow wow so they're annulling the laws that they passed and these laws that they're annulling are like martial laws right they're annulling the laws of conscription they're annulling the laws of treason trials you know they're getting rid of all the things that they leveraged to kind of like steal and amass power to fight their wars and when i say they i mean uh, octavian and mark antony now just octavian with mark antony being dead they have 60 legions mobilized that's approximately uh 300,000 soldiers way too many. You can't have soldiers standing around doing nothing because they get bored and they start rebelling and causing trouble. So they need to be demobilized. The good news is that after this civil war, the entire country of Egypt is the sole ownership of Octavian.
0: Mm. right? Mm-hmm.
1: And so this time, and uh, Egypt is very rich. They, are, they produce a ton of grain. They have a wonderfully efficient government that are, is set up for someone at the top to just step into and start just reaping benefits. You know what I mean? Some regions, like for example, Espana, you know, the Iberian Peninsula, they're rich in the sense that they have lots of gold and silver mines. But the time that Augustus, or sorry, Octavian is stepping in to, to kind of take control of the region, they're a bunch of like squabbling tribes. It, it takes effort to come in and set up the infrastructure to start reaping the benefits, right? Mm. With 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 Egypt, it's all ready to go. It's a turnkey operation, right? Wow, wow. Show up, collect your check. <laughs> Nation flipping right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, a lot of, um, not just in nations, but in business too, a lot of businesses are like that, where like the person at the top just needs to basically step in and, and make the money, right? Yeah. Um, there's there's something to be said about that where what, what people at the top try to do is they'll try to like link themselves to the effectiveness of the institution that they're running, whether it be a country or a business. And then they try to convince people that without them, the institution cannot function. Mm-hmm. Right. This is where we get this misnomer where people will say things like, you can't let the airlines fail, you can't let the banks fail but they don't fail. What rather happens is the people at the top lose their investment and are replaced by new people. Right, right. right, Like they're still around. You can't get rid of those institutions. They'll always exist. Well, now they'll always exist. It's just the people at the top who took the risk are gonna get deposed. So Octavian controls Egypt and with that, a ton of money. So unlike all the other civil wars where there was unrest and rebellion this time he has cash to spare and these soldiers are getting their retirement money they're getting their retirement land and they're being you know like farewell so long thanks for the help and it's, it's kind of ironic almost because this was mark anthony's dream was to
0: control egypt and and that's oh, yeah. that's what he wanted and it, it kind of and i'm sure that perhaps even some of these former soldiers or legions that were loyal to Anthony, they're actually getting their K-Day under Octavius now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A huge, huge portion of, of Anthony's army uh, defected over to Octavian's side wow. by, the end of, by the end of the Civil War. So they demobilize about half the legions, and they stick the others on the borders. That gives them 150,000 men to play with, right? So they make themselves censors. Octavian and Agrippa. This is really important because censors in Rome are more than just what our modern day censors are in that they count people. Rome, the Senate is it's not a thing you're voted into. Hmm. It's it's a it's a status, it's a class. You're born into the Senate. You you would say that someone is of senatorial rank. Right. Right. And one of the things that the censors get to do is they get to decide who are senators, by messing with those statuses. I got to be like, you know what? From now on, uh, only people born in Manhattan are allowed to be, are allowed to work in Manhattan. Everyone else who previously considered themselves part of New York City, you're now something else. And by doing that, by um, controlling the ranks of the Senate, they are able to start manipulating who runs the government. Now, this is
0: kind of like an early form of gerrymandering. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, that's a good way to
1: put it. This is like a very (laughs) early form of gerrymandering. Um, the, The Senate, already weakened by the wars and the purging, is further weakened by pulling in provincials, people from outside of Rome, who are loyal to Caesar and Agrippa first and then Rome second. This is an incredibly dangerous thing that we see even today that we should as citizens be weary of is when people are appointed not for their skill, but for their loyalty.
0: Yes, yes, this is this, and this is this is highly dangerous like you know if there's any form of nepotism or that's my friend over there from college, you know, and now he's oh. going to be in the justice department, you know. And this 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 is very dangerous and I, I think that's kind of why we instituted, you know, we borrowed this from China this idea of the civil service and and just this idea that people who occupy a particular station need to be qualified for the for these jobs. And when we start kind of leaning away from that, we sort of open up the well to a lot of corruption.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that Augustus, or sorry, Octavian appoints people who are actually very skilled. Okay. Because he, previously the rank was closed to only rich people, right? And it still is for the most part. But let's say it's like rich and of noble birth. Yes. So a very small pool of people. When, when Octavian opens it up to provincials, this is something that Rome will do over and over and over again throughout its history. And it's always wildly successful. And mm. we'll see, during times that are good, Rome is doing this. And during times that is bad, Rome is not doing this. And what it is, is Rome is always willing to welcome, not always, when Rome is willing to welcome its newly acquired territories, it's, for lack of a better word, its immigrants into the fold and let them make decisions and let them hold high offices they do very very well these people are are hard workers they have good ideas they have new ways of thinking about things they come from cultures and they come from societies where certain problems that rome is facing have already been fixed and they bring those solutions with them and we'll see some of the best roman emperors of all time are provincials right and this, this is excellent because you're, you know, you're leading
0: to massive cultural diffusion and you're also, you're creating, for these new territories, you're creating a lot of buy-in, right? Because if you take over and say, bow before us, we are Rome. Well, now, now you've just turned this into a police state where you have to like police these people. But if you say, hey, Congratulations, you're a part of Rome. Here's how you can work yourself up the ladder here. Then you you've created that buy-in with all these like uh newcomers to the to the empire.
1: Oh, absolutely. The early the, the we call this the the early empire, the early imperial period, the period yeah. of the principate is 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 categorized by this of of the, there's a thing in in Roman in Latin called consensus. Yeah. which has a slightly different meaning than what it does in English. In English, consensus means agreement, right? Like the right. consensus is, or in, in Rome, in Latin, consensus means that you have a right to rule. It's a, it's a contract between you and your people saying, I'm gonna rule you and your people agreeing and saying, yes, we will be ruled by you. And consensus is achieved by people liking what you're doing as the ruler right And part of the way to do that is to be ruled by people who have your interests at heart and the people who have your interests at heart are the people who come from where you come from yes 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 I, i i think that's true and it's it's when it's working and it is working during the golden age of rome the pax romana it works very well you have roman emperors communicating with provincial nobles who are interested in improving their own communities to make not just their community better but to make Rome better mm, you know mm. you have rich people who are at because remember Rome is at the end of the day it is an oligarchy right right' it yeah. is, it's, it's ruled it's for ruled by and ruled for the rich you have the rich building public works because they want their their town to be a jewel of the Roman Empire. They want they want public baths, they want their citizens to be happy. And when that's happening, Rome is 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 at its best. You know, the, the Pax Romana, uh Gibbons said was the best time ever to be alive in world history. Wow. Wow. You know, I don't know if I totally agree with him on that. I feel like modern <laughs> medicine is pretty important and I do love Netflix, but I can certainly see where he's coming from, right? Let's go back in time, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't speak Latin though, so I think we might have some trouble. Yeah. Uh, right? Anyway. So They made themselves censors and they start tinkering with with the senatorial ranks, right? You would think that their their plan to consolidate power would be opposed by the Senate here because the Senate have the stand to lose the most in terms of having their power stripped away. And yeah, but actually Agrippa and Octavian were aided by the Senate here. There were plenty of people who saw the writing on the wall or thought they saw the writing on the wall and decided to throw their lot in with Caesar. And by doing so and adding their power to his, they made it easier for him to pass the laws that he needed to pass to legitimize his rule.
0: Right? Do you think that they were just civil war wary at this point? They were just like, enough is enough. And like, I'm willing to give up my senatorial power just for stability. Do you think there was
1: a part of that in the back of their head? There's... I don't, I don't dare speak on the opinions of people who lived 2000 years ago, but that said, I think that there, it's a combination of what you just said, which is that they were just sick of it and they wanted everything to be, go back to normal. And another combination of, you know, imagine if like, imagine if, if you're, you're in, let's say North Korea, or let's say you're living here and, um. You know, like Kim Jong Un sends an email to you and a hundred, you and ten other people, and says, like, I need someone to come over and talk about how terrible the West is. Uh, You know, I'll I'll pay you, you know, a million dollars a year, and you'll live in a palace. You know, would you say no? How many people would say no? Do you think there's anyone who would agree to that? What about ten million dollars a year? right right right
0: everyone has a price
1: everyone has a price unfortunately (laughs) and there were certainly senators who saw financial gain in supporting the regime and were willing to give up democracy to to get it that's good to keep in the back of our heads yeah yeah the problem is is that there's no way to fix it you just have to be weary of when it's happening yes you can't get you can't get rid of it because like my analogy there will always be someone if not you someone else will do it certainly
0: and it's just like you wanna you just have to bet on the winning horse because if you don't then yeah. something you you you're you're done for right it's yeah. not even a question of it's it's not only your greed it's also your self-preservation in some
1: respect absolutely so these these people they're electing him consul year after year um or nominating him year after year and They're complicit in, they fight him on the tinkering of the Senate, but he does eventually get his way there. So eventually they're complicit there. And slowly but surely, the empire, the Republic is kind of turned away from being a Republic to being an empire. Eventually being consul for like the millionth time in a row is not working anymore for him. Right. What Octavian is starting to realize is that A, this, it's becoming more and more of a the The curtain is being pulled away more and more. Every time he gets reelected, people are realizing more and more, this guy is is the supreme ruler of Rome. Now he's falling. He's
0: like falling into the Caesar trap, where it's like, wait a minute, that dude is trying to be dictator for life. Yeah, but okay. at this
1: point, at this point, he has been ruling for a long time, much longer than Caesar, and people are used to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it, there's less of an outcry, but he is noticing it. And the other problem with being elected consul year after year is that Consular is like a a title that senators want to reach on their kind of like journey through political office. It's called the Corsus Honorum is like the the, the order of of offices you take in your political career. And consul is the last one. And by him being one of the consulars all the time, he's creating a backlog of senators who want to be consular and they're not happy about it. They're not like fomenting rebellion per se, but they're not happy. The same
0: thing the same journey kind of exists in the US. You go to the House and then you hope to get elected to the Senate. And then if you've been a senator for quite quite some time, you I can't imagine there's any senator who's like, no, 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 I never wish to be president. You know, I, I think to some degree most of these people got into politics for a reason. So I think when you have a permanent president, you're right. It creates this backlog, and then that backlog turns into resentment like, when is this guy going to retire? When's it going to be my time?
1: Exactly. That's exactly what was happening. Yeah. Um, It wasn't super dangerous, but it certainly wasn't good. He didn't like that, right? Mm. So he decides that he's going to change a little bit of the system to make it work, right? So what he does is he has himself, he retires, right? He retires from the consulship. And if you'll recall from one of our previous discussions, when consulars retire, they retire laterally into pro-consular positions, which which put them in control of provinces, right? Like that's what happened with Julius Caesar is when he retired from the consul, he became a pro of Gaul, mm-hmm. right? So, So Octavian has himself made proconsular of Spain, Syria, Gaul, Egypt, and Seleucia, which is a lot. That's a lot of territories to be proconsular of at the same time. And more importantly, those are border states. And if you'll recall, as from what we discussed, the border states are the ones with the military because they're guarding the borders from the barbarians or the Persians. Right, 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 right. So he's now in control legally of something like two thirds of all the military, mm-hmm. they report to him specifically. And and the, the Senate was happy with this. Who better to protect the empire than Octavian, the person who's been steering them and, and leading them through the good times all this time, right? So now it's something like 19 or 20 of the 28 or 30 legions yeah, it's like two thirds. Two thirds of the legions are, are now under direct control of Octavian. Mm-hmm. Um, Octavian adds new temples to the skylines of Rome and has the, um, the Sibylline books placed in them, which is, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but it's like, imagine if like Donald Trump moved the largest church in America to like next door to the White House.
0: Hmm. Right.
1: It's like you're consolidating power. That's religious power is power. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he controls the army. He controls the religion. Now he's he's building these temples and having all of the sacred artifacts moved to his temples, which happen to be next door to his house. Sorry, his his estate. It's, you know, rich people. They don't have houses. They have <laughs> <states>. <laughs> um, uh, in 27 B.C. He changed. He gets the title because, you know, he's not consular anymore. What what do they call him? The Senate decides he needs some kind of name. Yeah. He is awarded the title of the revered one or Augustus, and ah. this is this is when his name becomes Augustus Caesar. Now this this is
0: really remarkable because I think this has happened before, and this is the idea of the false retirement, and I think this is something that even uh, like Putin. Did I think he, I think he was like you know I th- I forgot what year maybe it was 2012 is that he had been elected 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 and then he steps down from his role I believe as president and then comes on on board on something else and then it's this idea of like well I'm not going to give up my power but I am going to change my title. And and Mao also does this, you know, the, uh, the great leap forward is a huge failure in China. So he kind of steps down, but he doesn't give up his power. He just stops being uh, president of the country for a while. And then he kind of just bides his time consolidates is, uh, consolidates resources and, and other kind of power in another area and then comes back. So it's this like idea of like falsely retiring, but then still having your hands on the strings at all times.
1: You're absolutely correct. So what what um, I'll start calling him Augustus now, since that's his title and that's what he'll be known as throughout history. What Augustus does is he has himself named a tribune in perpetuity. So tribunes... They have the ability to propose legislation, mm-hmm. to vote on legislation, and to veto legislation. If you are a tribune and you have the support of the Senate, you're basically in control of the whole country. Mm. And he does have control in the Senate, because he packed it before he left. And he's a tribune forever. So he what more do you need as as the supreme ruler of the largest empire the world has ever known? Right. Actually, that's not true. I think England might be now, but uh, you get my point. So, you know, he's, he did exactly what you said. He's like, I am graciously stepping down from the role of president. And instead, I am just going to be the the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Right. right. But right. I can't, I'm always going to be the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And on top of that, all of the senators are handpicked by me. I think this is really important, my friend, because
0: I would like to pause here for a sec, because I think that this is something that I was speaking to about this idea of leadership. And we are addicted in our culture to associating leadership with titles. Who's your CEO? Who's the boss? Who's the president? We love these titles. Like the titles is is for the average person what signifies power, but what we fail to realize is that truly powerful people can give up titles, can give up roles, but they're just so darn powerful or so darn intelligent and so in control of resources that they remain powerful regardless of what the hell you call them.
1: Oh, I mean, absolutely. And I don't, I don't consider myself to be a conspiracy theorist. And I certainly don't believe that there is like a secret cabal of, <laughs> of people running the world. But. Obviously, it's not always the case that the person in charge is the person in charge. There are many, many undeniable instances in history of people pulling the strings behind the curtain. And when we talk about some of the better and worser emperors of Rome, we'll see that that comes up. There'll be instances where the power in Rome is not the emperor, it's someone else. Right, right, right. But I, I,
0: I think I think this 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 is very notable for people to, to, to it's really important for people to take note of this, because sometimes the people that you don't see can be the most dangerous like it's always it's like, even even in the body, like the most benign thing is actually the thing that gets you in the end and I, I think I think I think when we look at things we tend to focus on the loudest and the most visible but we tend not to see the invisible
1: yeah yeah the people in power the good the people who are good at being in power work hard to make sure that you're not paying attention to them mm, mm. because they don't they're not seeking your approval they don't care and this takes command of the ego.
0: I think that many people want to be powerful because they want the fame, they want the adulation, but true power holders have 100% control of their ego. So they're like, please, friends, don't, don't pay attention to me. I'm just quietly here enjoying my dinner. I'm I'm just, you know, like, like they're able to kind of control their ego and their need and their quest for adulation and attention. And that is also kind of like a virtue of, of, of leadership in a way.
1: I mean, I think that there's different kinds of, of rulers. And that yeah. there are there are some who who are the the hand behind the curtain. Some of the emperors we'll talk about, but then there are still rulers like Donald Trump, uh, who are very much interested in being known for being in charge. Right, right, right. right. They, they're they're not they are they part of the deal that they like is being known as the boss. Right.
0: But here's and here here's where I'm kind of coming at this the more spotlight that's on you, you also, you, yes, you open yourself up to more adulation, but you're also more vulnerable to scrutiny because every, every, every little thing that you're doing is under the microscope. Whereas the guy in the shadows or the gal in the shadows is able to accomplish a lot more because they don't need to really bend as much to public pressure because they're, they're kind of invisible.
1: Yeah. 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 I I would agree with that. Right. So August. So Octavian is granted the title of Augustus or Revered One, and he's generally. But they don't. Call, no one really calls him that yeah. during the time. No one would call him like Oh Revered One. It's too formal. <laughs> what they call him instead is Princeps or First Citizen. Hmm. Right. Uh, it's where the word Prince comes from in English. Uh, you'll find that a lot of our words come from Roman words. Or I guess Latin words would be the right way to say that. Princeps, prince. Uh, the Where the rich people lived in Rome was the Palatine Hill. It's the origin of the word palace. The Russian king, the czar, is named after Caesar. You know, the month of August is named after Augustus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of our stuff comes from that, right? Um, but anyway, anyway. So... Caesar or Augustus really modeled himself as a princeps as the first citizen he tried to make his regime feel like he was just leading the first among equals he's he's leading the citizens in their their pursuits of a a better state and a better community Hmm. right that's how he viewed himself. That's how he wanted others to view him. He was not a king. He did not dominate people, but rather he was just the guy in charge. And he was the guy in charge because he was the best at it. This is very interesting that because
0: there's there's so many psychology. I'm, I'm really focusing on the psychology here a lot because I it's this idea, and this is something that is really lost in politics today so much, is that... We we tend to want there's an increasing demand to get done things done through force or or through like I am the ruler you need to do this but I think what Augustus is going for the angle that he's playing is like folks you can call me whatever I'm just the most capable man in the room and you're gonna have to kind of listen to me because I'm the only one who knows what they're doing and and this is something that I, I think our politics today is more of like, I want that title. I want that power. And with that power, I'll be able to accomplish what it is that I need to achieve. Whereas we've kind of gone away from the model of like, folks, you don't have to make me powerful. You don't have to make me a king. I'm just the most competent
1: guy in the room. And that's the end of the story. It's, it's, it's even more than that. It's, it's, it's that it's like, we have an agenda that we need to pass and let who's gonna who shall lead us in our journey and then the people are like you should you know and it's not organic because he's stuffed the deciding the deciders with his Mm. own supporters but it comes across that way right he does a good job during his reign of building back up the senate into an institution of some prestige not power but prestige. So you'll have to remember that during these civil wars, the Senate is ravaged, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, people are killed, people are, are accused of treason, stripped of their titles, sent into exile. He does good work to give them back some meager authority. He's like, I'm gonna like, so like as an example, right? He's as pro of all the border territories, he's in charge of 66% of the legions. There's still 33% left. Right. And that's he gives that to the Senate. And he's like, go ahead, make your rules, make your decisions, have fun. Right. This man is extreme. Like, this guy is
0: an, like, from a philosophy standpoint, this guy is an ultra utilitarian. Like, he is very pragmatic in everything he does because. I almost feel like he could have achieved these things without even corrupting the deck in his favor. I, I feel like he—I I feel like the only reason he went the corrupt means is that he just was like, "Okay, what's the quickest way to fix this problem?" Oh, I, I have to um, take a little power away from the Senate right now. So be it. it. It's almost as if like everything that he does is just for the goal of of making Rome more functional. And yes, he does kind of you know it really makes me question the the, um, the phrase like you know you know can you use a corrupt means to achieve a justified end? It's almost as if he's doing that. He's doing corrupt things, but in a way he's like the only guy who's actually making Rome a lot better than it once was.
1: I mean you the, the answer to that question is yes there's no debate. It's happened like as read the history books of Rome and you'll see that corrupt corrupt governments can be a force for good. Right. You could ask, is our corrupt government currently a force for good? And we could debate that. But you definitely cannot debate the total efficacy of corruption. It is sometimes, does sometimes work. And it's working right now in Rome, where Augustus Caesar is reordering the system to put himself at the top. But at the same time, he's greatly improving the lives of the people who live under him. Right. Wow. Wow. Um, people people love him. Right. He is, he is beloved in in his country uh empire state whatever you want to call it he eventually gets what amounts to proconsular authority which is or sorry he gets what amounts to like roaming proconsular authority which means that whatever province he's in he's in charge but when he's not there whoever is the actual governor is in charge mm, right mm. and by doing this and having, and he does have a very hands-off approach to ruling the empire, the Senate likes him, right? They they, they, they appreciate the clout that he's given back to them and they like controlling the provinces that they control when he's not around. They don't mind when he, sh- they don't mind so much when, excuse me, when he shows up and like kind of takes control for a little bit. Cause for the most part, he's very hands-off. Wow. He's, well, he's he's the this the steady hand course correcting. He's not holding it down and controlling where it goes.
0: So he's not um, th- this is amazing because he's not a micromanager. And, and this not actually, at all. and this kind of comes back to a, a previous podcast that I just did with a man by the name of Jeff. And great leaders are able to empower other leaders and oh, and yeah. when and I, I think this is very important because when you are a micromanaging leader even in rome you like the sentence of like come on dude stop telling me what to do and the leader who's like, hey, I'll let you guys figure that out, or hey, um, it looks like you guys got this under control. That is leadership over there, whereas I feel like it's almost a weakness of power when you have an overly authoritarian surveillance-like state, because I think it's almost as if you're afraid in your own competency, and you're afraid that you might lose power, that you overcompensate with having like an overly surveillance-like
1: state absolutely and not only does it make it so people like like you better because you give them autonomy but just like in general it's micromanaging means that you are the buck stops with you in terms of solving problems and if you don't know how to solve a problem the problem's not getting solved
0: right and
1: you just you have a better shot of success when you have more experts weighing in than just you yes you know.
0: because there's only so much one man can handle right absolutely. like like you can't right. like no matter how high your IQ is or how smart you are it's just you need people under you need competent people underneath you that can handle it before it gets to your office there'll be some problems that only you will have to solve but the idea is to kind of mitigate that over time
1: yeah absolutely so i could talk more about augustus but i think i think maybe we've, we've spoken enough about the pre imperial era he searched for an heir um I'll very briefly talk about he searched for an heir to kind of inherit his estate and with that the money right and with that the titles so and he started elevating his nephews to positions of power in the government to start to send the signal that his next of kin would be like the wielder of his authority when he was gone remember no one has said king no one has said emperor mm. he's still just a, a lowly government bureaucrat
0: right, right. It, it, it,
1: in the equivalent in the equivalent of like imagine if you know like uh, bill clinton when he was leaving office was like oh and by the way here's my son who you know i really think <laughs> right, you're right. I, par- <laughs> I apologize uh here's my daughter chelsea who i really think you should all vote for for you know the speaker of the house Right. Yes. yes. And then all and then all the senators who are loyal to Bill Clinton go like, yes, yes, we'll vote for her. She's great. And then they defer to her going forward instead of him because they know that she is now the wielder of his authority and money and influence. And that's kind of how you you. Have a kingdom without having a kingdom. Yes, right?
0: yes, and I, I think that's really important because if you know, if you appoint someone your direct heir just because you know, hey, you know, they're my son or my daughter, everyone's gonna be like, oh, king, monarch, we're gonna get them. Yep. But it just, you know, my son just happens to be the most capable of uh, handling this situation. What a funny
1: coincidence. Yeah,
0: what, what a a <laughs> dink right? Like, I think you should uh, support them as well. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh,
1: thank you so much for having me,
0: Aaron. This concludes the Fifth Partner series, Rome, The Decline of Democracy. I'm Aaron Azrod.